truly appreciate the gifts and willingness of our students to serve in this way. Amen? Amen. So as we uh, mentioned before, we'll be beginning a new series uh, going through uh, gospel worship next Sunday. And last Sunday, we finished our 26-week stint in First and Second Peter. And so graduation Sunday landed in between things. And so said, so, okay, we have this opportunity maybe to speak directly to the circumstances that our seniors are finding themselves in. But not only that, I think you'll find that, that really what we're going to get in today is ultimately universally relevant. Because every day we all wake up and make decisions regarding what we will pursue. What our life's purpose will be, what the overarching mission of our lives will be. And every day we wake up and we make decisions that are related to what it is that our life's work will be. Uh, for, for our graduating seniors going off to college, for people in their youth, the question is, what will my life's work be? What will I spend my life doing? And then for those that are maybe a little more seasoned, a little more time under their belt, the, the question starts to come up, and it, and it comes up more frequently the more the gray hair creeps in, is what will my legacy be? And so I'm in this, this phase of life, having done 10 years of local church ministry, having family now with five kids, and gray hair starting to show up. I think I'm at approximately about uh, 15 to 20% gray at this point. Um, so we have these felt boards that, that have little dolls, and, and, and it's kind of like paper dolls, but it's felt. And uh, so my four-year-old Claire is making me a little daddy picture on her felt thing. And she brings to me uh, two different hair pieces. One is gray, and one is this really nice reddish brown. And she says, Daddy, which one is you? And I said, the brown one. And she goes, no. And she goes and puts the gray one down. Now, I don't. I, I think it's just, maybe she's colorblind. We're going to go with that. Um, I find myself asking both questions a lot. Uh, what, what am I going to devote my life to? What's my life's work going to be? Because I want to stay on track with that. And then to begin, as you look towards your children, to begin to ask, what's that legacy going to be? What am I going to leave behind? But in the end, it's the same question, right? What are we going to pursue? And I want us to open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes today. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes, the writing of Solomon. And then we're going to kind of come on the back end and look at some teaching from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it will begin to help us answer that question. What are we going to chase after? Now, as you turn to Ecclesiastes, if you are more gray-haired than not, immediately you're thinking that song by the birds. And we're not even going to chapter 3. So if you're hearing, turn, turn, no, we're not doing that today. We're going to be in chapter 11, which is much more direct and far less melodic. So we're going to start in chapter 11, verse 9. Solomon, after much reflection, says this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain for your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. 
Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. That's an exciting verse, isn't it? It's a little hidden gem, but I want you to, to see the beginning of this. He, he tells them, he writes to young men. Now Solomon is towards the end of his life. He's been around a while. He's chased after things and he's reflecting, providing wisdom and insight down to his sons. If you read the writings of Solomon, just to clue you in on things, the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs are largely written by Solomon to communicate wisdom to his sons. Which is why it's helpful to remember that Proverbs 31, while it does provide a wonderful picture of a godly woman, it's actually communicating Solomon something to his sons about the kind of woman they should pursue first and foremost. I think we ought to teach that in our high school youth ministry as much as we do in our ladies ministry because you've got to understand the target here. So Solomon wants to communicate wisdom from God to the younger generations, namely his sons. And this is what he tells them. Rejoice in your youth. Enjoy it. Have fun with your youth. And and I want you to think about this. There is this energy associated to youthfulness. And and it it maybe morphs as you get older. Because because some of you high school boys are couch potatoes. but, But let's go back a little bit. Young children. I mean, there's two speeds for my kids. On and asleep. And on is drastically faster than I can keep up with. And I'm not an older guy yet. My dad, when watching our kids, reminds me there's a reason that God usually gives children to young people. And and that's why, honestly, he'll take the two boys and then our, our... the two older boys, and then he, he's like, I'm the, the six-month-old, I'm not in that category yet. So my parents, will, the, the two older boys, six and eight, they can stay with them. But when it comes to our four-year-old girl or our two-year-old girl, we've got to separate them. Because I can't handle it all at once. In fact, with our two-year-old Lila, he said, I will take all your other children, or I can have her. <laughs> and it's not that she's bad, or me, it's just that she's on the go all the time. She was, they're not here today because she's sick. And she was sick yesterday and still we couldn't keep up with her. There's an energy associated to youthfulness. Right? The body still kind of does what we want it to do when we tell it to do something. In fact, you high school guys, you're going to begin the slow progression away from that. So, so I want you to be aware that in about seven to eight years, you're going to be on the basketball court somewhere, young men. And you're going to have this move in mind and chances are it's all played out in your head and you used to pull it off at 17, but somewhere for most of us around 25, 26, the move is still present, but when the body goes to do the thing, it doesn't do what it used to do. Or the worst possible thing can happen, it actually does what we tell it to and then we suffer the consequences, right? Because for some reason at 17, I could hit the hardwood floor and bounce up with no pain. And uh, that's the last thing I want to do today. Like, I have tried to devise a way to play basketball without jumping. Because I don't want any injuries. It's just not worth it. But when we're young, there's this energy, this vitality. And, And I want you to understand what Solomon says. He says, enjoy that. Rejoice in your youth. Some of us here today look back with regret because we didn't do that. 
Now, I'm not telling you to act foolish. We'll get to this. But he says, enjoy your youth, rejoice in it, have high aspirations, great ambitions. That, that idea that young people have that they can actually change the world, that, that most of us who've had a little bit of experience begin to look back and go, well, that ain't going to happen. Which is just as much on us in terms of our cynicism as it is on them in terms of their naivety. That we get jaded by our own failures and shortcomings and we get to the point that we often quit trying. And young people and youth will have this energy to go and change the world. And sometimes, by God's grace, they do. You want to do a historical study of the 12 apostles. These aren't a bunch of old guys with gray hairs and beards. These are young men given a command by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they turn the world upside down. So sometimes it happens. Chase after your dreams, he says. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So that's the first thing. I want, I want us to understand, and wherever you're at on the scale of youthfulness, whatever you have left, enjoy it. Enjoy it. And, and then he, he tells them to do something else. He says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. So, so he said, hey, we, we, pursue what it is you're passionate about. Pursue what it is you love. Spend your energy. Don't just have this energy of youthfulness that you just kind of waste not doing anything with it. Don't squander it. Spend it in pursuit of good things. Chase after these desires of your heart. So, so pursue, go. And he tells them, have ambitions and go hard after them. Enjoy life. And then the verse makes a quick 180, doesn't it? So he's going to say, hey, walk in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you in to judgment. So he so said, yeah, run after things. Enjoy your youth. Enjoy your life. Pursue what you're passionate about. But, but here's the caveat. Know that you'll be held accountable before Jesus, the King of all creation. So be aware that that day is coming. You will give an account. So what you pursue, what your plans are, what you build your life on, will in the end stand before Jesus, the King of all the world, and you will be judged. I get the sense of Solomon, and there's this, there's this phrase that we attribute to my father-in-law, and I don't know if he actually ever said it, or if all the son-in-laws got together and kind of said he said it. Does that make sense? Like, it's in the general tenor of some of the advice we've been given. But I'm not sure that it's an actual quote. But, but my father-in-law has this line that we've at least attributed to him where he basically says this. And this is what it is. You do what you want to. All I'm saying it's a bad idea. And I've heard that or something similar to that a few times. Where he say, hey, go do what you want. I'm just telling you it's a bad idea. That's not going to go well for you. And I feel like Solomon's kind of giving a little of that to his son, saying, look, go, go chase what you want. Do, do what you want to do. Follow the side of your eyes. He's going to tell them a little bit in the next verse, remove vexation from your heart. So, hey, don't be sad. Put away pain from your body because youth and the dawn of life, all this, it's, it's just nonsense. So chase after what you want. Build your lives. Pursue what you want. But know this. God will judge what we do. You'll give an account. 
You'll stand before him and the question will be something like this. What did you do with what I gave you? I gave you the very gospel. I gave you the power of the Holy Spirit. I gave you gifts, talents, and abilities. I gave you uh, treasure and wealth. And what, what did you do with it? So build your life. Pursue what makes you happy. But know this. You'll stand before God someday and he's going to make, ask that you make an accounting of what you have done. And, and, and so he, these seem to be at tension. And that's why I want us to dig a little bit in a moment into, um, into the Sermon on the Mount to begin to see how God in his goodness to us brings these two together. Brings together the reality that, that we have our youth and this energy and these passions, these desires and, and, and we should chase after them. But, but also this awareness, man, you're going to give an account for everything you do. And how do we bring those together in, in one picture of this? But the question for each of us is, what will we pursue? Well, will we be obedient to God's calling on our lives? And this isn't just for young people. This isn't just a question for graduating seniors to ask. This is a question for each of us to ask and answer. Is that We've got commands from Jesus regarding who we should be and how we should live. And, and the question before us is, are we going to be obedient to what he's communicated his will and desire and calling in our lives to be? What will your legacy be if you're older? If you're younger, what will your life's work be? And if you're kind of there, stuck in the middle of two worlds, asking that same question on both sides, what are you going to chase after? And I want us to go into the Sermon on the Mount today, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, to answer some of those questions. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, I want you to see Jesus' teaching regarding the pursuit of our lives. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, now I want to point out a few things, is that young men, you don't have to always worry about where the next meal is coming from. Because it's like the consistent question that, that my sons give me is, do we have any food? Young ladies... There's a word for you here. Don't be consuming what you're going to wear. You've got a closet full of clothes. Anything will do usually. But, but here's what I want you to see here. Is that, is that there are these kind of just daily questions of life. What are we going to pursue? What are we going to do? And, and Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about all of these things. Don't be anxious about all these pursuits that life gives to you. Don't be worried about them. Don't be consumed with them. He does not saying being lazy. He's saying don't be consumed by it. Don't let that drive your life and fill you with anxiety and concern and dread and constant thought. What does he say that our concern and constant thought should be? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. So, so chase after things and spend your youth, but, but don't spend it on, on silliness. Don't spend it on things that have no weight. He says, search after God. Be faithful to Jesus. Pursue the kingdom. Let thoughts of God's kingdom advancing across this world as the nations hear the gospel, as we grow in maturity and more fruitfulness in the faith. He said, let that consume you. 
And let God take care of the specifics and arrangements of other things. Let Him handle that. So, so here's the question. So is Jesus saying that if I, if I do the right things, if I study my Bible, go to church, tithe, tell people about Jesus, that He's going to give me everything I wanted in this world? I mean, is he going to give me uh, uh, money and cars and, 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 and cool clothes, watches, whatever it is you want? Am I going to be healthy all the time? Is that, is that what we're talking about? Well, let, let's keep reading. When we flip over in Matthew to chapter 7, verse 24. He says, every one of you who hears these words of mine and does not do them and does them will be a wise man who, builds, who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So here's the answer to the question. I want you to see this. He says there's, there's two choices, by the way. There's only two choices. This is a multiple choice test with only A or B. And option A is to follow faithfully after Jesus, to pursue Him, that He is King of your life, and His kingdom means more than anything. Option two is to pursue your flesh and the desires of this world, which not all of them are bad, but all of them apart from Jesus are destructive. So he says you have two choices. And he says there's, it's like a man who built his house. The man who chose option A to, to follow faithfully, obediently to Jesus. This man built his house upon the rock on a firm foundation. And when the wind, the storms came, it stood strong. He says option B is this man who built his house on the sand. who rejected the teachings of God, pursued his own things in his own way apart from Christ. He says when the same storm came, his house was leveled. Now, I want to point out something is that the storm and destructive things came upon both houses. The man who built his house on the rock was, was not exempt from inclement weather. They endured the same hardship, the same difficulty, the same testing, the same trials. Both the godly and the ungodly suffered in the same way. But the difference was not the circumstance, but the foundation of the house that allowed it to stand. And, and this is what he's getting at. I want you to see what Solomon is saying as well. He's saying, look, the day is going to come when you're going to look up and you say, I, I'm weary of this life and I find no joy in these circumstances. And in the day of that storm, in the day of that testing, what you have built your life on will determine whether or not you can stand. Jesus says, if you pursue me, if you put the kingdom first and these other things second, in the day of hardship, in the day of trial, in the day of difficulty, it will be enough. But if you build your life on the things of this world, on wealth, power, prominence, comfort, pleasure, whatever it is, when the storm comes, it cannot hold you. And what Solomon is telling his sons, 
Chase after your desires. Pursue what you want. But a day will come when Jesus will judge. And a day will come before that when life and the circumstances of it will be horrendously difficult. And what you have chosen to pursue will be the difference on that day as well as the day of accounting before Jesus. What will you chase after? We all want blessing. We all want to be blessed. You can write, uh, if you write a book on the blessed life, and I don't care uh, what title you give it, you, you could say the blessed life if you want to market to the King James reading audience. Uh, you, you say whatever you want. But if you want to write a book on how to get, receive, and keep blessing, I want you to know it will sell. So if you're looking for a business opportunity, and you want, I'm just throw some stuff together. It doesn't have to be good. Just put the blessed life on the front. And you'll sell, I think, at least 150,000 copies. And I don't know what that makes, but it's, you know, it's probably decent money. But, but I want you to understand that, that when Jesus paints a picture of the blessed life, it's drastically different than what we might think of. And so we just turn a page back and stay in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus in the Beatitudes describes blessing. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 2, and he, which is Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them. You see, these are red letters, right? Jesus' very words, and, and let's let Jesus define what a blessed life looks like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, so that, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in, is great in heaven. For so too they persecuted the prophets before you. So, so let's just roll out Jesus' definition of blessing. And, and let's write a list here. Uh, the meek, those who have few things, who are humble. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn. Those who hunger and thirst. Have you seen a positive description yet that we say, sign me up for that? That appeals to me. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people slander and revile you. Uh, sign me up. And I want you to understand what Jesus is doing. He's painting a picture of the kingdom. And he's comparing the difficulty of this world and what it is to have nothing and still be in pursuit of God. And what he's telling us in the Beatitudes is if you have nothing this world values, but you have Christ, it is a blessing. It is a good thing. You have obtained something of far greater value than anything this world can offer to you. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice though you have nothing, but you have Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. And I want you to see this, and want all of us to see this. That our rejoicing and our joy is for today. You notice that? 
says, you've got this great treasure in heaven, but you don't wait until you get to heaven to rejoice in it. He says, rejoice now in anticipation of the blessing to come. So I guess what, what I'm getting at is that there's a way to pursue life with, with honoring Christ at the center of it, knowing in anticipation the promises that are to come, that we can rejoice even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of the most difficult things because we have built our lives, we have made our life's pursuit the glory and honor of Jesus. Because whatever it is that we pursue outside of Christ, the Bible says it will be burned. And Jesus tells us it's something that moth and rust destroy. Something that decays. So if we find our identity and our joy in, in anything, whether it's our work, our career, he says all that can come tumbling down in an instant. All of it. Some of you are here today and you absolutely love your jobs. Absolutely love it. You're happy. You love your job. And I want you to know that if you work in a normal environment, one hiring train change at your supervisor's level could take that job you love and make it a place you hate. Like that. And you have no control over it. I saw this in my time in corporate America. We, we, man, 2007, we were blowing it out in sales. It was awesome. First half of 2008, things were great. In fact, in the first half of 2008, we were over 400% of our sales goal in my team. It was phenomenal. And then, guess what happened? Less than six months later, we're struggling to make just our plan. And so, as a guy who, who had that tendency to say, oh, look, look at what we're doing. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my production. Look at my career. I'm on the fast track. All of a sudden now, nothing I had any control over changed the whole scenario to where being the guy who was number one in, in, in our division to being the guy who's struggling to keep uh, everybody at, at just above board. We didn't do anything different. We are doing the same stuff, but the entire climate changed. And if your identity is, is wrapped up in all of those things that, that in the end, they come falling down quickly. When they do, life shatters and it doesn't make any sense. But if, if your pursuit of life is built on the glory of Christ, that's unchanging. And what Jesus has told us is that no matter what happens, what you lose, what you don't have, when your pursuit is for Christ. That's enough. And you can rejoice because you know your reward in heaven is great. It's great. I want to take us back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse 1. And then we'll look at verse 13. Actually, verse 13. Summarizing everything, this is what Solomon says, the, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret, secret thing, whether good or evil. After he goes through his life and he looks back on all the things he pursued, all the things he did, all the things he chased after, he, he said, let me, let me just... Real simply, bring this to a close for you. 
Seek after the Lord and walk with him in joyful obedience. That's the end of the matter. Everything's been said. Everything's been heard. The end of the matter is pursue after the Lord. Keep his commandments. That is what God has called of you. Because he will, in the end, call you into an accounting. And the way this emerges so wonderfully from Jesus' teaching is we find this isn't just our duty, but it is our delight. It's not just what we have to do, but what we discover when we begin to follow Jesus is that no matter what the cost, the joy is more substantial in walking with him than what this world has to offer. No matter what we trade in, that that here and now the presence of God with us is better than that thing, and that for eternity there are great rewards at his right hand that become ours. When we walk faithfully, So each of us, not just high school seniors, each of us has a decision today. We have a decision every day. What will I pursue? It's important to ask it regularly because we can find ourselves drifting. We can find ourselves kind of easily getting off track. I would liken it to to going swimming at the beach. If you ever do that, I don't know if you're brave enough to get in the water in Galveston. uh, But it's interesting. But you'll have this experience where you get out there in the water and you're just goofing off playing. Maybe you're throwing the football around with your buddies and and you're not even paying attention. You're just having fun out in the beach. And then all of a sudden, maybe 20, 30 minutes later, you look up and you're like, you're not where you started. I mean, you you look to the beach and you don't see your stuff and you're thinking maybe maybe someone came and took it. And we need to go get some of the lifeguard to call in a theft report. And then all of a sudden you kind of see a few hundred yards down the beach. Oh, there there's everybody. It's because you drifted and you don't know you're drifting when you're drifting. And we all have a tendency to do that, to kind of just get consumed by the cares of this world, going about everyday life, not asking that question, what am I pursuing? What's the direction of my life? We can't afford to drift. The stakes are too high. There is a lost and dying world who desperately needs the gospel. We will all hold We all stand before God to give an account for what we've done. So we need to stay focused. As as we learned last week in 2 Peter, as we wrapped up, we need to be diligent. And so some of us need to maybe reorient our course. And some of you that are younger, you're you're charting that course. And I want to remind you of this, that anything you build your life on other than the glory and fame of Jesus will in the end disappoint and will not be able to hold you in the day of hardship. Can I tell you that that's why for, uh, for those that know Christians who are non- non-believers, that just watching us endure hardship becomes one of the most uh, significant and powerful witnesses of our faith. Is it that seeing someone in the midst of, of the most dire circumstance press into the Lord rather than run from them is, is a powerful witness that, that what we have placed our faith in is stable and true and lasting. And the promise for the Christian is no different than the hardship of the world. You, you're going to have hardship. The storm will come, but your house will stand if it's built on the rock. Is my prayer for all of our seniors that are graduating, uh, but not just them, for all of us. 
to continually step back and ask, what am I pursuing? Am I chasing hard after Christ? Am I living to honor Him? Living to make His fame known throughout our city and the world? Am I living to please Him? And if the answer is no, that we repent and we turn to Him, and He's gracious and He's good and He draws us close, and His Spirit enables us to do that, and our joy grows... Not just today, which it does today, but the reward for us in heaven is great. Beyond anything we could ask or imagine. And worth any cost. Because Jesus in the end is enough. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've been searching for joy and significance and meaning and all sorts of things. I want, and you've, you've found it to in the end be empty and vapid. Today is the day you could turn to Him. I mean, trust that God looked upon you in your weakness and your sin and knowing that you deserve judgment, sent His only Son to die for you and that His Son, by His own blood, did what was necessary to rescue you from sin. If you would simply trust Him, believe that He is God's only Son who died for your sin and rose again. And that when you do that, you walk into this new Life. The Bible says it's like being born again. You get these new desires, new passions. You get a new family. And you get a new purpose in life. And greatest of all these is you get a new destiny for eternity. Where your sin had, had brought God's wrath upon you to made you deserving of hell. You get the joy of being with Him forever. And as much as we could try to describe that, explain that, go in detail about it, I just want to leave you with this thought, is that, that what, it is so great that whatever it costs us, the Bible says it's worth it. So great that whatever we might give up to walk faithfully with Him, He says it's worth it. And Jesus is enough. I pray that you'd come to him today and I pray that all of us would repent of where we've fallen away and would again with renewed strength and energy and joy by his grace upon us worship him, the God who saved us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that your spirit might move mightily in us. Lord, I pray that we would chase wholeheartedly after our desires but that by your spirit you would give us a new heart to desire you and your kingdom. And that in doing that, our joy would be made full and that we would experience the blessing of walking in step with your spirit for the glory of your son. And that someday when we stand before you, we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. We would there rejoice in your presence for eternity. And Lord, we don't have all the answers of what that's going to be like, but we know this. That whatever the cost, it's worth it. That in light of the glory that is to come, that all of our suffering, whatever they are, however significant they are, that in light of that day and the joy we will experience with your Son, you call those struggles light and momentary affliction. Lord, I pray you'd give us that perspective, that you would increase our joy in your Son. And that in doing so, we would pursue him with our whole lives. In Jesus' name, amen.